Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One needs to have a, a slightly blacker heart. I think we would need to go ivory hunting for a few years and then we'll have black enough hearts to be able to make cynical pop music. Hello, this is Christopher Triumph again, back with another episode of Varvet International, or Varvet International, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And I can tell you, anyway, it's fine with me. Speaking of uh, fine, go check out Varvet's sponsor, Stuttrahim.com. It's fantastic. I mean, for Christmas gifts, I've never heard of a person getting annoyed by a gift that uh, comes from Stutterheim. You should definitely give it to all the people you love, if you can afford it. Maybe to the person you love the most, anyway. Check it out, Stutterheim.com. Thank you so much, Stutterheim, for sponsoring the show. Now, I'll be back after a short music break. Hello? Yes, me. I want to give you some good frequencies. One thousand two, two point six, two thousand two hundred forty-five. Yeah. Three thousand thirty-two, four hundred. Four hundred. Yeah. I'm coming over. Do that. <laughs> I'll be there in two seconds. This is how my love for Röksop began in 2001 with the song Epple from their fantastic debut album Melody AM. My memory might be tricking me, but I think I was working at a digital advertising agency at the time, so I guess it made sense you were supposed to listen to really, really contemporary music. But 13 years later, it still sounds fantastic. And we'll talk about making timeless music and that skit before the tune in a little while. I wasn't alone being a fan of Roixop. This album sold well over a million copies. And some five albums later, they still do fantastic music. Not the least with their cooperations with some of the finest singers we have, such as Susanne Sundfor from Norway or Swedish Karin Dreyer from The Knife or Robin. And this spring they released a mini-album with Robin. And just a week ago, Röksop released their last album called The Inevitable End. This doesn't mean that Röksop will cease to exist. It just means that they're done making albums as far as I've understood it. 
And this album is what they came here to promote, although we didn't talk too much about that, but loads of other stuff. So it's time to roll the tape. Here's my favorite Norwegian electro duo of all time, Svein Berge and Torbjörn Bruntland, a.k.a. Rögsopp. This is Sven on your right microphone. And uh, I want to be number two. You are. Okay, I'm here. Torbjörn, can you hear me? Yes, cool. yes, very good. And I would like you to describe uh, the setting for us. You're sat behind a huge desk, pretty much like the uh, Godfather, I'd say. And the room is lit in a similar way. Not as dark, perhaps, as his office. This feels a little bit like uh, either uh, Al Pacino in... Uh, Scarface. All I miss is a huge pile of cocaine. Yeah. Or a little bit like David Letterman. <laughs> yes, but yeah. you're not doing all the Letterman sort of editorial movements that he does. I'm not. I'm not. Sorry. But you got the shotgun, obviously, of, of uh, Al Pacino's Scarface. Yeah. And we're in Stockholm and you're doing like a promotion day or... Yeah, that's fair to say. We just came from Paris. That's why I was laying down on the bed for a little while. And also that I'm becoming an old man who likes to lay down in the middle of the day. But um, yeah, we had a late night. Last night we hooked up with our esteemed colleague Robin in Paris. She was there on a different mission and we hooked up and spent the night with some high flyers from Fashion Week. So it was a late night and early morning and early flight and all that. And you can't really blame jet lag. We, we can, but it would obviously be very stupid. I, I think that would, no, it's a nice reference to you saying that you're old. Yeah. You're getting jet lag from flying to Paris to, yeah. from Paris to Stockholm. But you aren't that old. You are like 30. Well, that's like, a record yeah. for me, at least. 38. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 38 is. Ish. No, yeah, accurate. That's, that's me, and Turbin is slightly older. Turning 40 next year, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you have any, any angst about that? I, I didn't actually realize until now that I was turning 40 next year. I never think about it anymore. I, you just don't think about it. Good. Are you on a promotion tour for your coming album? Yes. Yes, we are. We are we're putting out a new album, which is called The Inevitable End. So that's why we're doing a promo throughout Euro. <laughs> Europe. I can't even speak anymore. I'm so destroyed. And it sort of feels really strange that you, I can't really see you because of the... Uh, what are those things called in English? Pop filters. Pop filters, yes. I know that you get to talk... Well, I don't know if you get to talk that much about Tromsø. But for uh, me, I have never been there. And it's a really... I mean, it's um, far off. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yes. What can you tell me about Tromsø? We can probably tell you a lot of things, but I, I think the... We can start with facts. We can start with facts, and I, yeah, and we should probably apply that to our growing up, because I think the, the feeling of seclusion in Tromsø in the sort of late 70s, early 80s, when we grew up, was probably greater than of now. It, it's pretty far uh, north. It's yeah. on 70 degrees northern latitude. I think it still is the northernmost university town in the world. It has around 60,000 inhabitants, and most of them live on a small island, or smallish island. But for us, as kids, it was only a short bike ride, and then you were in complete wilderness. So we had sort of, I I wouldn't even call it urban, but we had city life to some extent, and we had all this scenery. 
mm. at the same time. And it's so far north that it's actually like uh, pitch dark for some time in mm. the winter and light mm. around the, the day mm. or around the clock in the summertime. Yeah, it's it's above the Arctic Circle. So from, I'd say, well, around now, you'll find that the um, the sun has appeared uh, disappeared from the horizon. So it'll be dark until the late January when you'll start to see the sun. And that means 24 hours a day. It's called Soldagen. It's a big day. All the schools and kindergartens walk to a place where they can see the sun pop up out behind the horizon for the first time in months. Mm. And everybody's like, woo, the sun is back. And then during summer, it'll be, be light all day and night. So that might lead to some sort of insomnia for those who are not adapted to this type of well, climate or conditions. But you didn't know anything else. So, exactly. So for you, it wasn't that strange. But now that you're older, you have perspective, you have realized that it doesn't have to be like that. Mm. How does it affect you? And you, you don't live there anymore, obviously. You no. live in Bergen, right? Yes, that is correct. And that's not above the Arctic Circle? No. Okay. That's, that's on the west coast of Norway. So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot further south. It's very European. Yeah. Yeah. Bruntland. Mm-hmm. How related to the famous politician? Gro Harlem Bruntland married um, her uh, husband's name was Bruntland. And there are 136 people in Norway who has that name. Okay. So I'd guess that there's some relation out there, but I'm not at that stage in my my life where I start, you know, doing the family research and see who is related to who and trying to find kings back there and stuff like that. That, that comes later. Yeah. But I, I assume it's limited. It can only be those hundred and how many were it? 36. Yeah, so that's, it, that's a constant. There can be no more or less. As soon as there's a kid is born, somebody has to go. Okay, so that's uh, how yeah. it works. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's very uh, intriguing. You might say so. At some point in your childhood, or maybe at the same time, Norway became a really, really rich uh, country. Were you affected by that? When, when I grew up, we, we didn't have a lot of money. We had very few things. What did l- your parents l- do? My father worked as an engineer and scientist, and my mother was home with us. Okay. So we didn't have a lot of money and luxury and, and things like that. And I started working and earning my own money pretty early. And I didn't realize until later that Norway was about to become a rich nation. I didn't see anything like that when I grew up. Even though the oil adventure started in the 70s, one might say. Or 60s. Yeah, it just took a while to get the the effect that we see today with the huge funds and and all of that. It just, you know, has accumulated. Today then, Oslo is like the most expensive city in the world, right? Yeah, I think Oslo and, and Tokyo seems to be the ones that are competing. But I, I, to some extent, I feel that in Tokyo, just to sound very international here and brag, I feel that you can steer away from it. It's expensive if you're in sort of downtown Tokyo, you know what I'm saying, sort of those districts. If you move a bit out, which is common, it'll be cheaper. But Oslo, is, it's, it's the same all over. And, and Norway, yes, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And in that respect, the relationship between Norway and Sweden has changed in, in, in ways that, you know, from me personally, I think some of it is slightly embarrassing because 
without, you know, sure. kissing Sweden's ass too much. We definitely have seen that Sweden as a cultural nation has, has you know, just so much more scope than Norway traditionally has had. Of course, there are exceptions, but generally speaking. And with this new rich, Norway is kind of, you know, competing a bit more with Sweden because of money. And that's really a sort of... And it could be seen as an artificial thing. But, of course, Norway's status goes up. But it's a bit embarrassing as well. But, but how do you mean? In, in what ways do you... We're not that much of a little brother anymore. No. But not because we've suddenly had this huge cultural influx and become this great cultural nation. It's just because we have all this oil. But One might say that's, that's my personal opinion, the way I see it, but I don't know everything, of course. If we look at Röksopp, for instance, which sort of would come in handy in this interview. <laughs> When your first album was released, I mean, there was nothing like that in Sweden, right, was it? Or... I Thank you for saying so. I, 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 that's obviously what we want to hear, and that we hope that that's the case because that's that's what we're trying for to be unique, at least in in terms of the music. But uh, but uh, Turban pointed out there are exceptions. But I think in in a pop cultural context, ever since you know, in terms of music and and films and theaters and directors and even writers, I think. Sweden have been superior and, and still is with in comparison to Norway obviously and yeah. we're also the double size double inhabitants wise. exactly yeah yeah that is a valid point and obviously uh, Sweden is an older country we we Norway is, is a much younger country so I mean there's it's not fair to compare them as such but still it's I think Norway has been trying to find identity and sort of a self Not self-reliance, but but a, a confidence, you know, a willingness to to dare to to do something on their own and being trying to be unique, which I think has been more prominent in Sweden, again for a longer time. When you grew up, did you have like Swedish um, role models or? I, I've always had a very keen eye on on Swedish again pop culture or or culture. I think, uh, well, I, one could probably name drop in terms of music anything from the history of Evertorb and Bellman and you know Cornelis Vresvik for for that matter and sort of and obviously Abba and uh, everything you've kind of have had it up until obviously recent things that we have been able to work with like the knife and and luckily and Robin and so on and then in comedy there's things like uh, Hassan and Schillinggänget and so on we don't have that in Norway we don't have that sort of unique sort of a comedy which is recognizable but with a with a twist that is distinguished as as uh, or uniquely identified as swedish okay. and again with directors like uh, bergman and uh, thomas alfredsson and so on. we we don't have that in norway still you have uh, the ilvis brothers that is one thing we have yeah again that's the exception yeah okay <laughs> yeah and there sort of i mean do you uh, appreciate ilvis they have been uh, around for a long time and i think that it's fair to say that they uh I don't think they intended to be the the internet phenomenon they became because they have been doing that thing as they did with this uh, track the the fox the fox yeah yeah for a long time for I think they years. handled they handled the the fame mm. of that thing in media 
very well mm. because they speak really relaxed about it and you know almost mocking the fact uh, sometimes that it got all these views and you know they just thought it was an annoying but fun song mm. and, and just speak it, it seems to me they say whatever they want about it and which mm. i think is really cool mm. yeah you get often to talk about the fact that you met early on like in your early teens you sort of started making music together right off the bat or yeah you yes. might say so uh, well it was a little while before we could say that we were making music like milking it all from our own breasts so, so to speak because we we tried to decipher songs like the model by Kraftwerk some of the Mode tracks and out of noise tracks we just tried to make some sort of cover versions of it in the uh, beginning but one can say that i think uh, i uh, like a year ago or so i found a i was tidying up in the attic and i found a receipt for for the first synthesizer that i ever bought and i sort of did a bit of a math thing on it and that was bought pretty like like six months or so after i think that we met for the first time and i know that Turbjorn had already bought his so i mean it's it's uh, it was fairly soon after we met that we actually bought our synths and and drum machines and uh, as yeah, said. yeah we 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 piled our it was more expensive to be an electronic musician <laughs> back then yeah. but we piled what we had together and we me and Svein and two other guys bought a drum machine as well which mm-hmm. was the thing that you know made our productions a bit more tidy one might say yeah mm-hmm. what was your sort of software back then we had a MS-DOS based program well in, in the beginning we had nothing we we actually just ran like the, the the drum machine would be the the backbone if you will like 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 a, in a traditional band and this was when we were when i was about 12 13 and turban 13 14 yeah and we and did write something on um on the, the commodore 64 yeah, the, the c64 yeah that, i think so that was probably the first thing but after a while we uh well, my parents got a, a had a home computer, a PC, and we got a MS DOS based MIDI program for that. So that was the first thing we used. Voyager Sequencer Plus. Yes. So that's uh, kind of where we we started. We had to carry this computer around until other sort of families would also invest in a home computer, and they would we would then install this same program on respective computers huh? thing with how, how that program worked with the computer's memory is it's all based on midi which is you know a ridiculous low amount of data but still it struggled if you we had a track and we build it up and at some point we had like polyphonic things coming in with six notes at the same time it dropped like two or three bpms okay so oh, if yeah. you if you had a track running at 120 bpm like and you have the beginning and you just have a kick drum and a bass line and then you want sort of it to hit the chorus and you would throw in chords and a melody, it would actually, the, the, the clock on the computer would sort of drop. So, <laughs> you know, when it's supposed to bang in and add yeah. energy, it's actually losing energy. So that was a bit frustrating in the beginning. But hey, but it was also the, the mystery of electronic music was to us extremely unfathomable because there, there were no sources for us to do proper research. We just had to think, listen to stuff Looking back, they obviously had much more expensive equipment and they had much more people to do things. They would obviously then mean... Let's mean, say Art of Noise or even later The Orb with their ambient house and stuff like that that incorporated long samples. Did you also like uh, Orbital? 
Yes, they are great. Yeah. Even though they didn't have the same impact on us. But yeah, the ambient house, the layering of sounds and the building of soundscapes that are so complex and, and just how on earth is this possible? And, and we just had to use our heads and, you know, try. Can we do something like that? Can we, can we reach that level of depth in music? Could uh, you? Back then, we basically didn't have the equipment because... We didn't have like a recording system where we could do multiple takes and put them on top of each other, stuff like that. We just played stuff. Well, basically, we, we had since, you know, the age from 12, when we first sort of got our gear till, I'd say, 15, 16, there was a uh, period of just self-tutelage by, because obviously this was in the transition from the 80s, late 80s into the 90s. There was no internet and Tromsø being ridiculously secluded from the world. And our age you know, wouldn't allow us to travel. You couldn't really go to London as a 13-year-old and sort of go to warehouse raves. But we knew of their existence and we managed to dig out all the information we could get on that kind of music by sort of hassling the local record shop. And also at the same time of, in the same sort of time period, we would try to find ways to get more equipment. We knew that a sampler was essential so we, we managed to pool our resources once again by doing odd jobs here and there as teenagers and buy a Akai 512, the first one, mm-hmm. the, the, the black and red one, which had ridiculous limited time uh, of, of sampling. Yeah, in full, full quality, at one second sampling time. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, compared to the, the options one, one have today, it was a quite sort of sparse beginning, but... Uh, I think it's been a good thing for us, really, because the way that we operate now is that we we still apply limitations to ourselves when we produce music. We only use gear that we will use fully. We're, we're not the kind of people who have the biggest sort of collection or museum of synths and gear and so on. We only have the stuff that we we really need and will use. There aren't much indulgence in, in what we have, so... In that respect, I think it's been a good thing for us that we had that sort of period of our lives in the teens where we had to maximize on the little gear that we had and just try to suck yeah, the most out of it. it it's, it's very true. If I were to try to convince someone who's against electronic music and saying uh, traditional stuff like, but the through emotion you can only get from an acoustic instrument like a violin, I'd say mm-hmm. that if, if you have that feeling of working with the machine, whatever that is, in a sense that you really try to utilize the piece of equipment that you're with at the moment and and almost like a little painful process, get as much of your emotion and expression through that machine. It has that same, you know, artisan thing to it as, you know, mastering an acoustic instrument, even though it's not so much real time, but all the soul and the energy can be there. And that sort of leads us into something that I've been thinking about when when I listen to your music, because all your music feels timeless. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That's wow. really nice to hear. That's something we appreciate very much. Yeah, but that's also that's really remarkable. Or maybe it isn't, because, I mean, Kraftwerk still feels... True, relevant and... Yeah, well, and there's... Thank you for saying that, and I can offer in return a friendly tip to anyone who, who wants to achieve a level of timelessness. It's, it's really simple. Imagine a song 
like The Robots by Kraftwerk. It's same composition, same lyrics. Instead of the synths and the sounds they used, they used contemporary electronic sounds that everybody else used. You know, those who made the disco with the spacey edge, which are, you know, camp novelties now. Whereas this is just timeless. It's just because they took the time to craft their own sounds. And it's sometimes really hard to make your own sound. I remember just an anecdote from when we tried to do something like that, but actually felt it was almost impossible. We wrote the little beginning of the track, Only This Moment, with only TR-909 drums. Like the TR-909 kick and the TR-909 open hi-hat. That sound, which is just so extremely energetic. And we, we said, well, we, we don't want to use that. That's not how we work. We don't want to use that open hi-hat from the TR-909 in this song. And we took it out, and we started, you know, just looking through what can we do to have that, because we wanted the same rhythm pattern. And it, everything just became weaker, less energy. And, and we were just, you know, about to give up. But I think that with the use of compressors and a combination of other more rare drum machine sounds and a live sample of a hi-hat together, we managed to get something that had the same energy, but it didn't sound like a stock sound anymore. And maybe that is, is very important, I think, when you try to make something that lasts a little bit. Is that how you work with all sounds? Well, it's, it's, you kind of reap what you sow because it, it, it takes a lot of time, at least on our end, to, to do this, to try to dig out sounds that sound uniquely us, like a Rikesop thing. I just came to think about when we talk about sounds to people who are not into making music, it just sounds like it's such an unimportant little thing. What mm. does it matter? It's, it's melody, it's compos- composition, it's songwriting. That's what matters. Mm. People can make a cover of it and play it on guitar. They won't have your sounds. It will mm. still be the same song, right? Mm. But uh, look at the state of current electronic music, how good it all sounds. Mm. Is everybody suddenly an engineering genius? No. Uh, it's just that the stock sounds that people have, the packages you can download from the web, with kick drums, synth stabs, build-ups, risers, drops, breakdowns, everything, those things are just so well produced now that people are able to put them together without much effort and make something that sounds clear, crisp and loud. So it's just that important, the sounds. Mm-hmm. It sounds like not yeah, I mean, I mean you, you can be... I'm trying to find an example that even my parents would... Well, okay, Beatles... What would they have been without the production? I mean, obviously they have really good songs, but the reason why one can still refer to Sergeant Pepper is obviously because of the production, not only the the quality of the of the uh, of the songs. Mm. So production, i.e., choosing sounds and and engineering it all, is is still important if you want to secure longevity and 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 a certain identity, particularly in electronic music, as Turbin points out. Otherwise, it'll just be Generic. It'll sound good and it'll sound right, and you'll identify it as okay. This is this is house or this is EDM or this is dubstep, whatever. But it'll just feel a bit sort of samey, and we don't want to be a one-trick pony. So obviously that's the reason why we we try to forge these these uh, sounds that we we find are slightly more unique and special and and not so generic. But has it been like that all along? Yeah, I think it's fair to say so. And I think it has to do with our 
profound passion for uh, sampling because mm. sampling has been like that's when we were kids bands like uh, Art of Noise uh, and so on who were really early with with utilizing the sampler in an interesting fashion has been so influential on us and in the mm. beginning I guess it was sort of a curiosity and a, almost like a toy when you're 13 year old and you can sort of sample yourself saying uh, ha-ha and then sort of pitch it around that was ridiculously funny and then being able to uh, to utilize it in in a creative sense so i think that's that sort of lives on with us still the the enjoyment of of uh, sampling things and mixing it up and and making own sounds that's that's kind of the joy of it all to a large extent can i ask you something that has been puzzling me for the last 15 years or <laughs> how long how long is it since uh, melody am came jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, it came in 2001. Okay, so th- then 13. 13 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's the telephone conversation in that? Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me about that? Yeah, it's it's just us having fun and the nerdy aspect, as you can probably tell. To us, being like a, a writer or something that's you know generally seen as something larger and grander, and at the same time being nerdy and really particular about small details, it's just appealing to us, and we find it funny as well mm. obviously you can hear that we're talking about the frequency 400 hertz it really doesn't mean much unless you want it to of course <laughs> the song that follows is Plan does have really weird frequencies popping out that somehow works no I, I think it's just a little take on our own nerdiness yeah and we try to make it a somewhat sort of semi-sexy as well that's fantastic yep at some point in your lives you moved to Bergen Did you do that together? Well, yes, uh, almost. Almost. Torbjorn uh, had. There I flew in yeah. from Oslo, or I drove in from Oslo with a with a friend who had uh, the driver's license and had all my things in the back of the car. So then mm. uh, came with his card boxes of things from Tromsø. I had a uh, what you call it in in English, you know, and 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 pal. Yes, um, I don't know. Yeah, you know that thing. It's like one square meter of w- wood. Like yeah, a, framework, a, wood framework. Yeah, yeah, thing. And I, I stacked my keyboards and stuff and records on that thing and took it with me. Or actually, I sent that with a boat because I didn't have money to do that otherwise. And I left Tromsø, and uh, I came, I think, about a week, you know, a month or so after you down to Bergen, and we moved in together with a um, fellow. Norwegian producer and DJ and musician called Björn Torske 
So the three of us sort of uh, live together in a really shabby and small apartment, living mainly on rice with exotic spices and herbs. Daytime, we would run up in the mountains surrounding Bergen, and nighttime, we would be uh, making music. And did you go on tour? Uh, like daytime? hiking? Yeah. I, I not that sounds very sort of uh, national romantic kind of thing. We would. It sounds a bit too healthy. We went. Yeah. I guess we went up to the mountains to sleep. Yeah, we slept off because we had been working sort of and you know during the night. So we went up there to just sleep and then, uh, yeah, I don't know what we did. It was a really ridiculously. Uh, we moved in in early spring. We moved to Bergen. So we had a, the full spring in the summer. That was basically what we did, and the occasional sort of round on uh, out being out on town and sort of hanging with our DJ friends and and doing those kind of things, and uh, then up in the mountains again, sleep down, make music, and uh, yeah, it was a good time. But was the idea that you were going to study, or we there was no. Uh, no really? I mean, we we this is what we did, and again. We have both been attending university, but the music thing just was so... It took over. It took over, yeah, really. There wasn't really room for both things. So uh, so university had to go. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's the way, the way of the world. You're not the only ones doing electronic music in Norway. There's like Lindström, uh, mm-hmm. Todd Tarja, mm-hmm. Björn Torske. Do you all know each other? I mean, it's a fairly small country. Those who are from Oslo and fairly new-ish, newer, one might say, we don't know that well personally. It's more that we meet up when our paths cross and, and hang out a little bit and say hi. Other than that, we we haven't been striving too hard even to build a network, I think. But that, but I think that's yeah. more that's more you and I. Yes. Uh, we are the ones who sort of... <laughs> keep ourselves secluded for some reason. I mean, it's not really deliberate either. It just happens so that we do that. It's not as if we're malicious in any way or we don't want to be with other people. It just It's just the way it is. So there might be the world outside of us in Norway, if you want to call it that, the scene, I guess, might be really closely sort of knit together. But uh, but we we're not really part of that. Obviously, the likes of Bjorn, as mentioned, is very close to us because he's been around for, you know, we're kind of on the same, we're representing to some extent the same wave, if you want to call it that. He's yeah. slightly older than us. So, yeah. What can you tell me about Bergen? Because you have obviously chosen <clears throat> to stay there. Mm. There's something which is very healthy for creative people, I believe, in Bergen. There seems to be, and also, you know, in the art scene as well, that people, because of the weather, because it's raining so much, yeah, it's, it, of- it's, it's more allowed. You can feel more justified being indoors with your curtains down, concentrating about your little thing in your little universe, mm. which is very productive. It's sort of the Seattle of the Nordic it, it, countries. It might be. It might be. Yeah, a, yeah. If, if it goes too much emphasis on Bergen and that Bergen is so great and there's so many art, uh, you know, it's a bit embarrassing as well because some of it we witnessed like a like a press hype <laughs> thing around Bergen, Bergen, Bergen. And if I were from somewhere else in Norway, I would be really annoyed about that. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it also has to be said that we we have been lucky enough to be able to travel a lot. Over the last, uh, I don't know, uh, 13 years, was that where we landed on? Yeah. 
So we have been able to see a lot of the world and we haven't really found any place better, you know, to do, be able to do what we're doing. There might be too many distractions and too many things that one would want to attend and wanting to be a part of so that perhaps we'd lose what we feel that we have. Mm. I, I don't want to sound like a coward now, but we, I feel that we, by traveling and being places and different places of the world in terms of touring and DJing and so on, we get to see the world, we get to soak in the, the atmosphere and, and the, what's going on and meet people and all these things. And it's really nice to then just go back to a quiet little Norway and enjoy the, <laughs> the scenery and the rain or blessing, being feeling that the rain is a blessing because we can then, as Torin pointed out, with, with good and uh, clear conscience sit in the studio and, and make music. If uh, a nuclear bomb would clear out Bergen and you had to move somewhere else... Mm-hmm. Where would it be? That is a very good question. I, I feel uh, that a part of me would like at some point to be in an environment which is like hot, like a, like a, I don't know, Southern Europe or perhaps even L.A. would be fun just to sort of soak in that, that thing. I mean, I would probably end up making uh, or wanting us to make yacht rock or something then, but, uh, you know, I have no idea, but that could have been fun. Well, yeah, the... the The dream of LA. Uh, it, yeah, yeah. It, that so But in the 1976, it, it's, it's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, when we're there, it's so different than you'd think it'd be. Much, much nicer. And at mm. least we've, I guess, which uh, has to do with kind of segment of people you initially start to hang out with when you're there. But we've been very lucky and met so many, you know, just good people that it's it has a bit of a lure to it. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's something about it. It is, and it's yeah. uh, it's strange because. Prior to going there, I was quite prejudiced. I sort of, I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm gonna not like this, mm. and it's just nice to be proven wrong. Now and then. Now and then. Yeah. Most of the time, I'm, I'm not mistaken. But Berlin doesn't have like a, an allure to you. I'll, I'll be blunt and say no, it doesn't really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I like Berlin. I like Berlin and uh, the scene and the music is spawned and, and yeah. the myth, uh, the mythology, the, the starving artists, you know, that... The, and the this, space. Yeah, this, the, that whole sphere, uh, mm. I love it, but it doesn't mean that, that we are attracted to it on our own behalf. No. We were talking about earlier that your sound sort of has a timelessness to it but still there's an uh, a development as well mm. you're, you're moving towards something mm. could you comment on that but it has to be that way to maintain something i mean to the very bottom on, on why we do what we do i think we'll never come we'll never be like the clear bird's eye perspective on on ourselves and i guess i don't really care about that it, it's not important it just feels important to to be able to do the things we do. And we do not make it easy for ourselves. It would be like cheating to us. We want to say things that are, you know, sometimes it's very, very undefined. And sometimes it's clearer with lyrics, for instance. And, and we just want to do it. And, and on that journey, there has to be, we have to challenge ourselves because we're changing as human beings. And sometimes I, I get a little hint of a feeling that The people who are into what we do, that follows us, that supports us, that makes us actually what we are, they also grow and they're changing in their lives. And sometimes it feels like 
it's a nice sink that we have. And sometimes you see that people are disappointed that they wish that we did more of the same and stayed more similar, which I totally can understand. I, For instance, my analogy to that in my life would be certain computer games that I thought were very good when they were simplistic and, you know, the playability was in focus and then they started developing the concepts and being more advanced in terms of graphics. And I just think that's you shouldn't have gone in a new direction. You should have just made the same thing over and over again because what, some of the, our fans, I guess, are like that. What are your favorite uh, video games? I'm talking about Unreal Tournament in 1999 and, and uh, Halo 1. Yeah. These games are so pure and, and, and clean and, <laughs> and just the playability of them through the roof. And everything else has interesting additions and new elements to them, but nothing like the original basic concept. In computer games, I, I believe the developers and artists feel that they have to utilize the new technology to the fullest every time. It's like when someone gets a new mm. equalizer in, the, in, in their living room, they have to boost the treble to the maximum mm. because you can. Mm. It's new. This is very clear. It sounds very clear and, and, and expensive. <laughs> Which yeah. I can relate to. It's yeah. worse with the ones who want to do the, the thing with the subwoofer thing. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I hate that. Yeah, but mm. just because mm. you can with technology, you shouldn't use it all. And the storytelling and the things that really hits people on a deep level, mm. it's just... When people have the technology there to to tell and do what they want to do, not to show off the technology. So <laughs> that was a bit of a long tour from the original question. I think that <laughs> should just be called Michael Bay, that, that phenomenon. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's fair to say that we, we, we want to develop. You wanna, obviously, you don't want to be a one-trick pony and just be safe. But at the same time, you don't want to be too radical either because we don't want to lose ourselves in this and you know let's let's swap the synths for for accordions you know because that'll be that'll be strange and 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 in this instance that would have been very corny you know you want to maintain what you have created and that is uniquely identified as workshop or the workshop sound if there Mm. is such a thing do you write for other artists i mean you you obviously do with like robin but Mm. Is that something that's on the uh, agenda to write for Ariana Grande or <laughs> that might happen? It's not something that we've we've not made like a list of these are the options for the rest of our lives. But to write something for someone, it's a big difference whether we then also produce it or if we then are you know the faceless songwriter who just gives it off completely to someone else to produce and put into a context. That's a different segment of, of musicians and writers who do that. Yeah, and I think that we... I don't see it likely that we will be approached by someone like Ariana Ground because we're not sort of hit chart people. I mean, uh, it's not something that we try to do either, but we're not trying to stay clear of it either. It's just we just make the music we make and whatever happens, happens. But so, could you? I mean, could you write a mm-hmm. number one hit? Where? If you wanted to. In yeah. Israel. <laughs> in Israel? Yeah, I was just picking a random No, no, no. Uh, I'm thinking uh, Billboard. I think that we could probably at least have a have a, a try at making something more commercial. I, I think we, it's okay, it's fair to say that we have knowledge enough to, to at least make something that would be more commercially, more commercial uh, product, if but, you but just to use a boring word. I also have personally some kind of inhibitions to go all out commercial for the mm. sake 
mm. of success, mm. like exterior success. Mm. We could do it because we have the skills to do it, but mm. it needs minor brain surgery. <laughs> Just remove some some connections in my brain that mm. hinders me to go all out, uh, you know, just making music just to be, yeah. I think one, one, one needs to have a, a slightly blacker heart. I think we would need to go ivory hunting for a few years and then we'll have black enough hearts to be able to make cynical pop music. Speaking about the Beatles, did you know that in my life, the mm-hmm. song that mm. George Martin doesn't really, he couldn't play the, is, what is it? Is it like an, uh, a mm-hmm. harpsichord? He, could, he couldn't play Yeah, there's it. a harpsichord. Yeah, yeah he mm-hmm. couldn't play it that fast. Mm. So he actually like... Sped down? Yeah, to half tempo, and then he could play the solo. Mm. And then, yeah. I didn't know this, but you can clearly hear it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of a recorded take by the way it abruptly ends. Yeah. It's very sort of tape. <laughs> yeah. But I, I enjoy that. I love that. I think that's... Uh, it's a fantastic solo. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, it, you know, the... And then... The way it ends, that that kind of, yeah. But the thing about you also is that you sort of have, it feels like you are really, really skilled musically. But is that the case? Or is it something that you just had from the beginning? I would hope, mm. I don't know, just sitting here talking so much about ourselves, <laughs> it kind of inflates our egos. So it, uh, I'm probably going to go overboard now. But I, I think that we are part of defining what's skilled because we're not skilled in like playing a very complicated solo on an acoustic instrument kind of skilled but uh, we we can hold back when that's needed and we can show off in unexpected ways so in that uh, sense yes we, we we do have skill but it's a different kind of skill I yeah say. that skill is is having control and knowing what we're doing i mean there's no accidents happening when we make music where we it's all done with intention and you know we we do this we know what we're doing and it's going to turn out exactly like this i think that's that's our skill more than anything congratulations on that yeah. <laughs> and good luck yeah. to you yeah. you self-reflected <laughs> yeah. yep, no, no no but it's often said and i think i might have said it myself as well that anyone with a computer today can make a decent pop song yes well pop I'd say a decent, semi-catchy, danceable song. Okay. But not necessarily a, a pop song in the sense of a successful pop song. It's just too much competition. To I think the it. level of production, as we pointed, talked about earlier, is, you know, it'll sound really professional as if they've been to some sort of a really expensive studio, which is obviously, that is the case. That's the reason why we have certain artists today who are just autodidact and have been just sat in the room with their software and and, um, and computer and, and have that sort of level. But uh, it, there's a difference between the, I guess, songwriting skills and, and production. So Yeah, I, I disagree when okay. you use the word pop like that, uh, yeah. because that means to me like, like the top level of pop. It's just too much competition, even though a song like Avicii's Levels probably to some people doesn't sound that hard to make. One has to take into account that the chords, when they came, were just hitting something uh, like a nerve within a younger generation. There's a sparseness to it and a really good melodic sense in it that just not everybody has that. That's true. 
because that's that's yeah. the type of music which is made in a, in a program called fruit you know uh, yeah it's fruity loops i guess okay well some of these programs and anyway and and that's pre- pretty accessible to make and I, i think in that respect everybody can make music all right do you have uh, girlfriends <laughs> Uh, Plural? Yeah, you're uh, two. I have one girlfriend, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah the, yes, we, I have several. No, I have one, yeah. Back home in yes, Bergen? Yes, Okay. Mm. Because you must travel a hell of a lot. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we, we do travel a lot, yeah. Do you make that work? I mean, do you have kids? Yeah, we do have kids. Both of us have kids oh, okay. as well. Congratulations. Uh, How thank old? You. Well, mine, I got kids much later than Svein, so his kids are... are Uh, growing up and mine are still very small children. Uh, his, his kids are not growing, which is a bit of a shame. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> yeah, sorry about that. No, well, I can enjoy that time longer than... The, 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, in a way I envy you because it's, it goes too fast. It's easy to do, embark on some sort of complaining about traveling and stuff, but it's, it's like a luxury problem, of course, because we're traveling because there's people who want us to travel and are interested in what we have to say and do and our music. So it really is a luxury problem. But like my girlfriend said, luxury problems are problems too. That's very true. Mm. Do you feel that you have had to make sacrifice to be able to work this much? I can say yes. I mean, the, on both ends. On both ends. Oh, well, on many, many ends and many yeah. accounts. There's by doing this choice you're excluding something else i guess that's why it's called well that's the definition of choice <laughs> you cannot possibly have both yeah we we've chosen a certain path and uh by doing so you you elect is that the word you you sort of you you put away different uh, other things so uh yeah in terms of of, of the people we we love and that are close to us we've made sacrifices and on the other end with our musical career we haven't uh, i i think we if we wanted we could have been more hardcore and done more and been bigger and we've just found something that we feel that this is the level that we w- want to be on this is the amount of press that we want to do this is the amount of you know grand openings we're going to and we just kept that on a level where we also do sacrifice in that respect but i think that in the end we've found something that works for us mm-hmm. that we're still able to do all the things have a life outside of music and still be able to pour ourselves really really into music when when that's needed you have sort of a, a reputation in norway to be sort of media shy right Yeah, well, that's easy to get. I mean, you just say no to one interview and you're suddenly difficult. <laughs> okay. And, yeah. and arrogant. You have had success. Why will you not uh, talk to me? Talk Be, to me, yeah. Could you say that you are the knife of Norway? Oh, the knife are so unique uh, and brave and cool. But there's no other yeah. band. That, I mean, I think we should answer yes, because there's no... Okay. Since you said the word cool. No, uh, but there's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's no one else who is more like the knife than us in Norway. That's very good. Mm. All right. Would you like to recommend something? Expe- uh, uh, playing with this psychological phenomenon of putting yourself in other people's shoes. I just read in the paper that it was a very healthy thing to do for relationships and for your enemies or you know people that you are in conflict with. And also for the world as a whole, I, I think that could be a good thing. If you became... Because it's kind of impossible to really put you in other people's shoes. But the more you try, the less 
animosity. So it's a good exercise. Regional understanding. Yeah. Whose shoes did you try to picture yourself in? I I, tr- I try. I, I can't say that I'm I'm so good at that at all. I just you know I. Well, try you don't have to be good. You just have to try. I yeah. Guess. I, I sometimes when when things annoy me, I just do that, and I realize that it's totally random that I'm annoyed <laughs> by that. There's no malice in the thing that annoyed me by that other person. It's just random that I'm annoyed by it because he or she didn't do it to annoy me or to do anything bad against me it just happened mm. so that little jump and jump out of your own head and in, into other people's head and pretend you're them for a little second that really is a good th- uh, thing sometimes very good answer and i i think that oftentimes that you do we have company i think the hour is up but anyway oh, this is yeah, a spooky situation yeah What would be the worst thing that could pop through? <laughs> uh, no, uh, yeah, uh, someone whose whose uh, proportions, like physical proportions, are totally out of whack. That's really scary to me. Mm. Like if someone came in and their head was in a Very. different place, but mm. they functioned like a normal person. That's so scary. But, and do you encounter that often? <laughs> No, I, I wish that... Uh, Only when watching uh, Japanese horror movies. Yeah, yeah, you see that in, in some, you know, like like The Ring and stuff like that. The girl coming out of the TV, that iconic scene. That's like real scary stuff. I wish there were more films that that made things scary like that. In broad day- daylight, just things that are off with people. Mm. It's, 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 um, I'm thinking about the giant in... David Lynch uh, TV series yeah, Twin yeah. Peaks Twin yeah, the Peaks. giant exactly. uh, with, a, yeah. with a deep voice yeah. yeah and is he friendly or is, is he does he have a sort of hidden malicious agenda What what's his thing I, I love that yeah I, I just want to then throw in since we're speaking about movies and, and spooky or, or scary things um, the movie called Jacob's Ladder which is kind of overlooked but uh, that that is um, really really good movie I just want to recommend that for people who want to have a good experience. That's fantastic. And who do you think that I should interview on Barvet International? Maybe mm. you can get uh, to talk to uh, some of the musicians of the older generation that you know were pioneers. Maybe you're lucky enough to get Florian Schneider from Kraftwerk or maybe you could talk to uh, Arne Nordheim in Norway and uh, uh, maybe Biosphere. He's not that old but he's, he's definitely old school. I think you should try also for someone like Alejandro Jodorowsky. I think that would because you've done directors, haven't you? Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah. So uh, I think he is probably a, an interesting guy to talk to. Thank you so much for your time, guys. And good luck with your new album, the last one. We didn't talk too much about that. It's we will, not that yeah. dramatic either, but we can say some... Uh, we've been doing that in a lot of interviews, and we've we've told what we think about the album format, and we can talk about that for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't belong to the future. For us, it no. doesn't. Okay, cool. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Rugsop. I love these guys. I just have to mention that when I greeted them in the lobby, I was just about to give Svein a compliment for his cap when he actually just took it off and gave it to me. So now I am the proud owner of a Roixop cap and I will uh, never give it away. Or if you want to try to convince me, you'll have to send me an email at pod at varvetpod.com. All right, speaking of email, I would like to credit some people that I have forgotten to credit. So now it's time. 
I would like to credit Martin Negrell who helped me with the Scott Aukerman interview. Thank you so much, Martin Negrell, for that and for your inspiration in the beginning with my podcast. You had a podcast called Arthur. It's not available online anymore. That's a shame. But you still write at tvdux.se. So for you Swedish uh, listeners, go check out Martin's fantastic writings there. I would also like to credit Anna Åkerlund for being a sort of co-producer on the last episode that with Larry Charles. But for this episode with Roixop, it's the usual suspects. It's uh, producer Christina Jörling Biro, Lovisa Olsson is the editor, and I am Christopher Triumph. Talk to you in a week. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.